because I do want all those who are not able to be here tonight to hear some of this. But it, it is very important to me that we really dig down deep into the Word of God and understand this is one of the hallmark uh, doctrines of the Bible. To me, there are three doctrines of the Bible that are that are paramount to our understanding and and that we need two of them we need to walk in obedience to one of them when we have an understanding and a revelation of it 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 gives power to so much more of scripture but those three doctrines the first one of course is the oneness of god we believe that that god is one lord all right one lord now I know we have we've had more come in and we've got a few kids tonight. I think uh, we'll go ahead and do nursery, and so it'll probably help the kiddos out if we've got nursery going on, so uh, they can be dismissed to do that as I'm talking. But that first doctrine is the oneness of God. All right. The second doctrine that is very important and powerful is the new birth. The new birth. What? How many know what I mean when I say new birth? Would you just raise a hand if you understand what I mean when I say new birth? You got that. Okay. For those of you that may not, the new birth is when you are born again spiritually. When your spirit man is born again, we are, David said, I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. We are born with a sin nature. And I preach Sunday that sin leads to spiritual death. Y'all remember that? Sin leads to spiritual death. So because of that, it is necessary that we are born again. We die out to self. We die out to sin. We die out to the things of, of life, whether it's, whether it's the influence of the enemy, whether it is the the pull of the world, whatever it is, we die out to those things that would, that would bring us into sin and away from the principles and the precepts of God. I cannot stress strongly enough to you, and that would lead us, so oneness of God is the first doctrine I mentioned. New birth is the second, and that is found in Acts 2.38. Repent, it's found very succinctly in Acts 2.38. It's all in the Bible. Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, okay? That's new birth. But when that has hap happened in our lives, that begins to point us, because we know who Jesus is, because we have been born again and died out to self and died out to the sin nature in our lives, that leads us to the third great doctrine that is so important, and that is the doctrine of holiness. The doctrine of holiness. And that's something that I'll deal with uh, more in the next few months at some time, uh, it, it's been on my heart to, to get into that and discuss some of those things. But what is holiness? Holiness is the nature of God. Holy is who God is. Holy is who God Almighty is. He is a holy God. I'm going to just tell you right now. He is, there, there's not one little bit of variance in him. There is not one little bit of shadow in him. There is not one little bit of, of double-mindedness in our God. He is completely 
and utterly holy in every single way. All right? That is our God. And he says, be ye holy as I am holy. That's what God said. He said, I am a holy God. And if I have done these things in your life, I want you to be holy as I am holy. All right? So it is, it is incredibly important that we understand holiness. There's a scripture in the Bible. It says, follow peace with all men. All right? Follow peace with all men. And holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. If we are not a people who separate ourselves to God and say, I want to live a holy life. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how many wonderful things that you've done for other people. If you don't obey God's definition of holiness, not just this world's definition of holiness. Are you with me? God's definition of holiness. We will not see the Lord. Now, does that scare anybody else besides me? I want to be holy. And so these are things we need to understand and talk about. Um, Holiness is not just a list of rules. I know that there are people that that have pointed at the Pentecostals before and they think that our holiness, uh, that our standards are what we consider to be our holiness. Standards are an outgrowth of holiness, but standards themselves are not holiness. The Pharisees had all kinds of standards, and yet the Pharisees were not at all holy. Jesus looked at... Are are y'all okay? I know I haven't got to our main subject yet, but again, I feel like we're doing good. So, Jesus looked at the Pharisees. He told them, he said, on the outside, you are whited sepulchers. You've got this beautiful, bleached, white outer exterior. There's no blemish on it. Everything looks great. But within, you're full of dead men's bones. One time he called them vipers. He just, I mean, he let them have it. And the problem with the Pharisees, there were multiple problems, but one of the great problems with the Pharisees is that they felt like they could obtain their own righteousness, which which means they could do things to make themselves right in the eyes of God. And Jesus tried to explain to them, you need righteousness You can't go to heaven without righteousness, but you can't manufacture your own righteousness. Boy, we're doing real good right now. You cannot manufacture your own righteousness. There is only one source of acceptable righteousness, and that comes from the Lord God himself. All right? We have to walk in it. He offers it to us. And says, now, you come walk in this. And, and the Pharisees were trying to manufacture their own. And Jesus called them on it. He said, you look good on the outside, but you're not. So holiness is not just rules. If holiness was rules, Jesus would have had no problem with the Pharisees. But holiness is not just rules. Holiness ch- changes everything in our lives. Holiness changes the way I think. To me, that is where holiness really begins. And I've taught this several times, but in Second Peter, in the first chapter, 
the Apostle Peter, I believe it's in Second Peter, it might be first, but I think it's second. The Apostle Peter begins to go through some things. He says, and add to your faith virtue. So he was saying, after you come to God and you've got that foundation of, beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. What is virtue? I believe virtue is what begins on the, it's when God begins to change us inside to, to think like he thinks. Okay? I don't think, the, because growing up in the world that we're a part of right now, would you agree with me that we are almost not almost, we are literally being programmed every day. If, if you do not have a filter of God's word in your life and all you get is what comes to you through maybe education or media, whether that's television or internet or newspaper, whatever the case may be, if all you're getting is that kind of thing, would you not say that we are programmed to think a certain way? And I know... This is always my go-to example, but it is the most blatant in our society right now. But we are being told every day through any means possible. Matter of fact, even churches are, a lot of churches are getting away from this now. Um, But it should be the church still maintains the the truth of this. But we're being told that to, to to live a homosexual lifestyle is okay. It is, it is completely normal and natural and that. Uh, we should not have a problem with it. And if all you get, if all you, if, if we all took our children and set our children in front of televisions and they saw that all the time and that's where they got their sense of values from and that's where they got their sense of morality from, how many know they would think that it's okay? All right? Now, I'm going to tell you that it's not okay. It is a sin. It is a sin. It's it is not a it is it is uh, not a sin. Unlike other sins, there are other sins too that we need to be very careful that we're not uh, keying in on one or two things and and welcoming in a whole bunch of other stuff in our lives. Okay, I'm just using that one as an example tonight. Um, but we have to be so careful that we do not allow all these other things to determine the way we think. Now, because we are raising a generation that these things are determining the way they think, I want you to understand that when we come to God, we need God to completely reboot our mental thinking. All right? I don't have to do this much anymore because I use a Mac now, and and the Lord put his hand on on Macs and said they're going to work a little better. But uh, but how many remember you'd be working on something on the computer? And I can remember doing this a lot when I was growing up. If you'd be working on something and, and it would freeze up on you or something. And when I was growing up, they were still bad enough that you had to save your work every once in a while. Y'all remember that? Because how, many ever, how many ever were writing a paper or doing some project or for work or something and it deleted? Has that ever happened to anybody? How many of you, if the Lord had come in that moment, you were, would have been worried about your salvation? <laughs> they would freeze up. And, and so I've had that happen in a class. I remember being so close to being done with something one time. I had done a lot of work on it. 
and it froze up in class. And I called the teacher over. I said, I want you to see this froze up on me, but I've done so much work. She said, that's too bad. I've told you and told you and told you. You save. Every two or three minutes, five minutes, you save your work. Now they do it for you. Praise the Lord. They do it automatically. But what we would do is we would reboot the computer, right? Because you, you weren't getting anything done until you rebooted the computer. And when we come to God, what we have to have is a reboot of our thinking. Because God doesn't think the way the world thinks. God doesn't look at things the way the world looks at things. And I've got news for you. God doesn't look at the world, uh, look at things the way an American looks at things. Or the way a European looks at things. Or the way an African looks at things. God sees things very different. God is not bound by our cultures. God does not conform to us. He says, you must conform to me. But be ye transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. Okay? And when our mind is renewed, there is a virtue that comes into us, and we start thinking differently. This is why I don't beat, when somebody comes to God, I don't start beating them over the head and saying, you need to do this, and you need to do that. And I saw on Facebook, you did this, and I, and I heard you were doing this, and someone told me they saw you there, and I'm not going to get all aggravated and, and, and bent out of shape and, and, and tell them and say, uh, you should not have done those things. Don't you know better than to do those things? I'm not going to do that because they haven't had their system rebooted yet. Okay? So they're trying to, to, to come to God and allow things in their lives to be renewed. And that begins in the mind through virtue. Add to your faith virtue. And if you will let God change your thinking... When God changes the way you think, eventually that begins to make its way from the inside to the outside. Are you, are you with me on that? It makes its way from the inside to the outside. And we have to make sure that we don't quit walking with God when he begins to say, I want what's inside to come outside. That's, that's what we struggle with at times is when God says, okay, I've done all of these things for you. We're not any different than the kids at Christmas. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Right? How many of you ever went and counted presents underneath the tree? See how many had your name on them. We're not any different. We're not any different than kids are like that. And, and even as adults, if we come to God, we're, all, we're excited when, God's, when, we're, when it's give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. But then the day comes and the Lord says, all right, I've given you a lot. Now I want you to allow what I've done in your life to begin to be made manifest to other people. And so that is the other important doctrine that I've just spent about 20 minutes on tonight. Um, and, and I could keep going. I'm, I'm, I think I'm just going to stop right there. But does that help anybody tonight? So, so let's, not, let's not forsake to understand these things. Let's not forsake to understand who Jesus is. Let's not forsake to understand what it means to be born again. And let's not forsake what it means to walk a, in a holy life and allow God to change us and do things in us. And that will always, 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 always begin on the inside 
but it will always, 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 always make its way outside. Right? Okay? So, now, talking about who is Jesus. I want to read this scripture to you tonight. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. This is the foundation scripture of the Bible. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Why do you say that is the foundation scripture of the Bible? Because this is the scripture. This is the scripture. And I, I don't think this is, this is me exaggerating one iota. If the Lord was going to tell you, you needed to memorize one scripture. I really think he would say, you need to memorize that the Lord our God is one Lord. Why do you say that? Because... When it came time for the children of Israel to to begin to make their way uh, as a nation, as a people, they became the Jewish people, Israel. Um, when, when that happened, the Lord gave Moses a whole lot of stuff. But one of those things that he gave him was, it's, it's all found here in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, where the Lord begins to lay some things out and say, Moses... I want you to make sure that my people get these things down. These are the commandments, the statutes, the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. All right? That you might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Now, all of these things are going on. And so he, get, he tells them, these are things you need to listen to, you need to observe them, you need to do them. I'm commanding you to learn these things. These are statutes. These are commandments. You've got to have them in your life. He says, let's start it off with this one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And literally, to this day, to this day, the most, the most religious and orthodox of the Jewish people, when they go in their house, they will have a little thing on, on, their, on the, the doorpost of their house. And they will touch it. And they will say the Shema, which is this scripture. They call it the Shema. And it, it says, uh, uh, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is... When they go in, they do it. When they come out, they do it. That is that, it's that important in their life that they don't ever want their family to forget it. They don't ever want their kids to forget it. They don't want to forget it themselves. They said, if there's one thing I'm going to know, it's going to be how many gods there are, and, and, and there's only one God. All right? So, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And in the New Testament, in the New Testament, somebody came to Jesus. They said, tell us, what's the greatest commandment? He said, he, he begins to quote this. We, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And I can preach about that for a little bit. With all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. In other words, don't let there be one single part of you, mentally, physically, inwardly, outwardly, every part of your life ought to serve the Lord. Okay? So, uh, this is a commandment, and, and, and this, is, this is the cornerstone scripture of the Bible. Now, let's begin to talk about some things, because there, you, you're going to find that there are people who view the Godhead differently. What, what do you mean when you say Godhead? When I say Godhead, there are people who view who God is differently. Okay? They see God differently. There are some people that they believe in a, in a, very, in a very strict, strict form of Trinitarianism to, to the point where they would tell you they believe, and not all people who, who would say they're a Trinitarian believe it like this, but some believe it so strongly that when they get to heaven, they think they will see three different persons in heaven. All right? And, and then there are some who don't believe it quite like that, but, but they believe a form of that. And then there are, there are others who believe, there, there are others who are so oneness. Can, we're going to be honest in this study, okay? There are others who are so oneness that they deny the, the humanity of Jesus Christ. They deny his humanity and, and they try to diminish it. Uh, and, 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 and to sweep it under the rug because they don't want to deal with that. But we need to understand there's nothing wrong with saying there is one God, there is one Lord, okay? He, he is only one, but that what we believe is that one God who is spirit. The Bible says that God is a spirit. God is a spirit. And that, that our God, who is a spirit, said, I'm going to take my spirit and I'm going to put it in a fleshly vessel, an earthly vessel, and I am going to walk on the earth for 33 and a half years. That is what Jesus Christ did. And, uh, and, and I'm going to get into some other things. This is not going to be a one-lesson deal, so you may have questions that come up with some of the things I say, but, but follow me through it. If there's a question that comes to you, if... And, and I really mean this. If while we're going through this series on Wednesday nights, if there's a question that comes into your mind and you say, I really need to understand uh, what he meant by that, or I didn't quite grasp that, I want you to write your question down and give it to me. I'm not afraid of your question, okay? And it doesn't offend me. I want to make sure we have a solid understanding on who Jesus is. Now, in the early church, in the early church, which would be the church began... It was established and began in the book of Acts, all right? In Acts chapter 1 and 2, you have the establishing of the church. And um, so all throughout the epistles, that is all still considered to be early church history, all right? So in the early church, which would cover from the book of Acts beginning all the way through uh, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, um, confusion over the Godhead began to enter into the church. We're not the only ones to ever deal with there being a confusion about who Jesus is. All right? That was going on in the epistles. And when you read them, you will see some of that in different areas where it was 
particularly pointed. Um, Because much of the church was made up of Jewish converts who did not want to accept Jesus as the Messiah. Okay? There were Jewish converts in the church who, who did not want to accept Jesus as the Messiah. And they, they had this thing about them. You'll find it in Galatians, and, and you'll find some of it in Colossians. But they had this thing where they wanted to try to make a hybrid form of Christianity. We had had the Jewish religion all the way up until Jesus came, and Jesus is going to usher us into the church age, okay? So it's been the Jewish history all up to that point, and then Jesus comes along, Jesus dies and is buried and is resurrected from death and ascends into heaven, okay? That, by the way, we identify with that through the new birth. We die through repentance. We are buried with him, the Bible says, in baptism. And we are filled with his spirit, which breathes new life into us. All right? So, so Jesus uh, dies. He's buried. He, he, he rises from the, from the grave. And after having taken the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and eventually ascends into heaven some, some 40 days later, he ascends into heaven. And after that happens, we are the day of Pentecost comes. The church is established. No longer are we following the old Jewish uh, laws and, and, and customs. We are now moved into the church age dispensation. Okay, now here's where the problem began. And you can understand this, I think. There are people who grew up all their life doing things a certain way. And... Jesus comes along and changes some things. And they had a hard time making the jump from this to this. Now, I'm going to tell you something tonight. I can understand that. I don't have much for somebody who will believe one thing this week and another thing next week. That bothers me. You've got to have something you'll stand on somewhere. And, and, And... they were having a hard time making this transition. So Paul begins to deal with it in his epistles. And, and many of them were trying to say, okay, we will still, we, we believe in repentance and we believe in baptism uh, and we believe in the infilling of God's spirit. But we, 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 we still want to keep the, 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 the old uh, feasts and we still want to observe the old laws and we still want to do these things. And 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 Paul said, "Hang on just a minute." He said, "You're trying to you're trying to add to what Jesus has done. You're trying to make take this over here and this right here and form your own hybrid form of Christianity." He said, "It's not going to work." He said, "Jesus has come and he has fulfilled the law." So the law has been fulfilled. And let me stop here for just a moment and deal with something. When people tell you that the law has passed away, are they correct? Absolutely they're correct. They're they're 100% correct. The law has passed away. But don't let somebody point to something in the Old Testament and say, well, this was a part of the law. Why is that such a big deal to you folks? Because this is a part of the law. We do not... There are people who will say, you know, in the same chapters and areas of the Bible 
where it says that homosexuality is wrong. It also says don't blend two garments of two different uh, types together. Don't take polyester and cotton, in other words, and mix them together. But I've probably got a blend on right now somewhere. And you do too. So they'll say, you're hypocritical because you want to talk about this, but, you, but, but this is going on. And you're eating, and you're eating uh, catfish. And praise God for catfish. And, and you're, eating, you're eating meat from things that have cloven hooves. And, and the Bible said in the Old Testament you weren't supposed to do that. So what's the difference here? I'm going to tell you what the difference is. If you will look, you're going to see that there are some things that were ceremonial laws, but there are other things that are moral laws. And any time it has to do with morality, it has never changed. Because it is morality in the Bible is always tied to God. It is always tied to God. And God never changes. He never changes. He is the same by his own testimony yesterday, today, forever. All right? So, so those things, and you will usually see this word. Don't do this because all who do are an abomination unto the Lord their God. So, when that word is, is in there, you need to take real careful note of it. Because it has to do, and that's, you'll see that in Deuteronomy 22 and 5, in the distinction of, of how a man should appear and how a woman should appear. You're going to see that exact stuff right there. So, so these things, there, there are things that have to do with morality and, and gender distinction that God put in there for a reason because he knew that we were going to deal with the day and age in which people would try to confuse identity. And if that hasn't been all over the news lately, I don't know what has. So, so that is going on. And, 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 and so don't let somebody tell you that, that you're picking and choosing. No, you're not picking and choosing. God picked and chose. Are y'all with me? That's very important that you understand that. God picked and chose what would carry over. And anything that has to do with the moral law of God will never, ever, ever change or cease to be all right so so that happened <laughs> so the jews are trying to bring in the feast they're trying to bring all this other stuff and paul said no 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 no. we don't do that you don't need to do that um and 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 he had to get on to them on the other hand you had heathen and and you had people who, who were coming out of tremendous false religion who couldn't accept a singular god they had worshipped multiple gods all of their lives. Look at the Romans. And you've got... Now, I'm going to use the Greek terms because I'm more familiar with them. But you've got Zeus and Athena. And you've got, and you've got uh, Aphrodite. And you've got uh, Apollo. And, and you've got all the gods of, of Greek and Roman mythology. Gods that they served and worshipped. Okay? And, and, and they believed in Matter of fact, they had so many that when Paul went to Mars Hill, they had all their statues set up to all their gods, and Paul's walking around. He's looking at them, losing count of how many there are, and he even finds one because they don't want to miss one. He even finds one that has the inscription on it to the unknown God. In case we miss one, we want you to have this. All right? And, and, 
And they were in false religion. (coughs) So a lot of these people could not accept a singular God. All they had ever known was multiple gods. The sun God, the moon God, the stars, the the earth, the the, the trees, the streams. All all of these things. They were all their own gods. and, And that's what they knew. Then also, you had people who were coming in. They were coming into the church and they were racist. And they could not accept a God who came from a Jewish lineage. And it bothered them. It bothered a Roman, perhaps, who, who, who sees Rome as the greatest empire of the world. And they were up till that time. They, they've got the most influence. They've got the farthest reach that anybody's ever had. And that Roman has to stop and say, you're telling me. That this little old group of people that we've subjugated, that little old group of people, out of them came the Savior of the world, God manifest in the flesh? I can't accept it. God would have to be a Roman or somebody that could defeat us, but he could not be a Jew. And so you had all of these things going on. And so confusion over the Godhead is is taking place in the early church at times. All of all people were willing to give Jesus prominence, but not all of them were willing to give Jesus preeminence. Did you catch that? They all were willing to say Jesus was a wonderful, great, awesome man, but not all of them were willing to say he was the man. All right? And, and so there's all, this, this is going on in the early church, and they have to deal with the question Who is Jesus? And that's in large part why the book of Colossians is even written. It's in large part to answer the question, who is Jesus? So let's deal just real quickly with his parentage. Who are the parents of Jesus? Well, his mother was a young girl becoming a young woman by the name of Mary. Mary is the mother of Jesus. What you have to understand about Mary is that Mary, what, what, when she gave birth to Jesus, what made this so unique is that Mary had never known a man intimately. She had never known a man intimately. And all of a sudden, this young woman who's never known a man is with child. Now, you try being in her shoes, finding yourself with child, after you've said, be it unto me even as thou hast said. You're with child, and you go off and tell somebody, don't worry. Nothing untoward happened here. God has allowed me to be pregnant. And let you see how far you get. She didn't get real far. People are saying stuff. Joseph's having a real hard time believing her. Her, her betrothed. He's having a real hard time Believing her. Let's look at Isaiah 7 and 14. Would you put Isaiah and 7, Isaiah 7, 14 up on the, on the screen, please? <clears throat> and, and after that, we will be going to Matthew 1 and 20 here in just a moment. Isaiah 7, 14, the Bible says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, what's this sign going to be of? The sign is going to be of the coming of the Messiah. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. It is so important that we still believe in the 
the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. That is a critical, critical, fundamental part of what we believe. Because if that is not true, then none of the Bible is true. And we should just close it all down tonight, sell the building and go home. Okay? We have to understand and believe that what separated Jesus from anybody else is that Jesus was born of a virgin. So his mother is a woman named Mary. It is from Mary that Jesus has a flesh nature. Jesus, if, G, if, if Jesus as he was then was to come walking in this, if this was 2,000 years ago, and Jesus had come walking in this room 2,000 years ago, he would have flesh just like you and I have flesh. He would, he, would, he would look like a person just like you and I look like people. Matter of fact, you probably would not have recognized him as God manifest in the flesh. Because many never did. They never caught it. Why? The Bible said there was nothing in him that would cause you to look at him and be drawn to him. It wasn't the way he looked that drew people to Jesus. It was what he said that drew people to Jesus. His words were so powerful that, that they said, Never a man spake like this man. And then when he got through speaking, there would be a demonstration take place that was not natural. It was supernatural. And people would be healed. And, and demoniacs would be delivered of devils. And, 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 and lame people would get up. And people with leprosy would be cured. And the dead would even rise. This all happened through the ministry of Jesus Christ. And, and, and so, so he, was, he was very, very different. But he was also very similar to us. Okay, you with me? Now, his mother is a, is a human, a girl named Mary. Who's his father? Before I go to the other scripture, I want to point something else out here. She's going to bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. God is with us. Who is with us? God is with us. So you're telling me that that baby that was born in a manger, that baby who, when you looked at him, there was nothing in him that would make you look at him and be drawn toward him necessarily. You're telling me that that was God himself? That's what I'm telling you. The Spirit of God came and indwelt in that I like to say it this way, that fleshly tabernacle. God said, I'm going to humble myself. That's why the Bible uses that word. Humble myself and, and allow myself to be, to be subjected to the bonds of humanity in flesh. And he was. And Brother David and I were talking a little bit while ago. The Bible said so much so that he was tempted in all points like as we. He was tempted the same way you're tempted. And I'm tempted. But he didn't sin. How do you do that? I don't think there's anybody in this room today that is strong enough to live their entire life and be tempted and never sin. I don't think you, you exist. <laughs> I know this guy. 
is not would not be part of that elite club. How what made it different for Jesus? I'm going to tell you what made it different. It's because of the spirit that was dwelling in was greater, greater. That's why the apostle wrote and told us later. He said, after you've been born again, you need to understand something about yourself. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. So, that spirit inside of Jesus was so much greater than, than that which would come against. And, and uh, that spirit is God. That spirit is God. That spirit is God. That's why Jesus could step out on the edge of the boat, look at the storm, and say, Peace be still. Because this was not an ordinary man speaking. This is God. He has power over the elements. He has authority over wind. He has authority over waves. There would be no wind. There would be no waves if he hadn't spoken it. The Bible said that by him, by Jesus, were the worlds created. So he's got all power over that. Can you imagine what that must have been like when Jesus... I know that water is inanimate, but just indulge me for a minute. When Jesus says, peace be still, and some wave wants to look back and say, who in the world does he think he... Oh, that's the one that made me. That's the one that created me. I have to obey him. I don't have any choice. And immediately it became calm. What a mighty God we serve. Now, who is the father of Jesus then? Matthew 1 and 20. <laughs> but while he thought on these things, behold, this is talking about Joseph. While Joseph is thinking, what am I going to do? Mary's pregnant. She says she didn't have an affair with somebody, but I don't see how that's possible. While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Very important scripture, folks. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So, who, who, where, where does the, where does the seed come from that allowed Mary to be with child? That seed comes from God. Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, God is a spirit. That is God. That is not another name. That, that is not another form of God. That is God. That is not a different form of the Lord. That is the Lord. And he overshadowed Mary and said, I'm going to supernatural. How does that happen? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a spiritual labor and delivery doctor. I don't know. I just know it happened because the Bible said it. And and this 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 baby begins to grow in her womb. The baby is growing in her womb and it's it it's it it is of the Holy Ghost. Now, if you believe that there are three separate persons in the Godhead, if you believe that in the Godhead there is a Father, and there is a Son, and there is a Holy Ghost, and they're all separate. Now, I believe, I believe, don't, don't go with me a minute. I believe in the term Father. 
And I believe in the term Son. And I believe in the term Holy Ghost. But I believe that when you say those, you're, you're always talking about the same thing. Okay? So here, if you believe that there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, then I have a question for you. Who is the Father of Jesus? Because Jesus himself at times says, I and my Father. And, and some might say, that's talking about God the Father. Okay? If that's talking about God the Father, then what's this scripture talking about? Because if God the Father is the Father of God the Son, then why does the Bible say that that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost? Please explain this to me. How does that work? I'm going to tell you how this works. God said, I'm going to cause a fleshly vessel to be born in her. And then I'm going to take my spirit. The same spirit that says, let it grow, is the same spirit that's going to say, I'm going to get inside of it. All right? Talking about the oneness of God. The spirit caused her to bring forth a baby. Not Joseph. Not a Roman soldier, as some would like to have said. If there is, if, if, if this is not true, then we have no Messiah. Because the Bible clearly said that a virgin would conceive and bring forth. And his name would be Emmanuel. If Jesus is not God, there's a huge problem. Because the prophesied Messiah is always referred to as God. Alright? He is always referred to as God. Now I want to show you something here that that and again tonight I'm just covering a few foundation things. We're going to get so much deeper into this. I just kind of wanted to wet our feet a little bit tonight as it were and and there's some other stuff that I'm not going to be able to get to. Um but I want to show you this scripture. Colossians 2 verse number 9. Colossians 2 and 9. Let me, because I want to back up, because I want to be very clear here. I don't want people to say, I said something that that they did not see. Y'all wouldn't do that, would you? Okay. Let's go back to verse 6. Start with verse 6 of chapter 2. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. That's what preachers have been trying to get people to do for years. Walk ye in him. Rooted and built up in him. Established. I tell you, I, I, I didn't emphasize this as much as I should. Go back to 6 for just a second. Folks, please look and see. As ye have therefore received who? Okay. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. Very important that you understand we're talking about Jesus here. Okay? So walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. You should abound in thanksgiving as you are, as you are living for God. Abound in thanksgiving. Verse 8. Beware, 
lest any man spoil you. Now, this remember me telling you, Paul, having the, the issue with people understanding who Jesus is and all that stuff? He says, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Don't let their philosophies mess you up. Don't let their, their personal agendas mess you up after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world. Just because the world says something that's a rudiment of the world, don't make it right. He said, don't get caught up with rudiments of the world and not be after Christ. The things you got to believe are after Christ. Okay, we're talking about Jesus, remember? Don't be, don't be spoiled, all right? Go to verse 9 now. For in him, in who? In Jesus. In Christ Jesus the Lord. For in him dwelleth all. The fullness of the Godhead bodily. Folks, if you can't see that, you just don't want to see it. It doesn't say that God the Son dwelt in Jesus. But God the Father and God the Holy Ghost were separated. It says, for in Him, Jesus dwelleth. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So every part of the Godhead was in the humanity, that fleshly vessel, Jesus Christ. Now, I would have gotten into it tonight, but I don't have time to do it. But I would have told you about how Jesus... When, when, when you begin to study the scripture and you begin to study him, you're going to find that they begin to come ask him questions because they were struggling to understand who, who, who really, who are you? There's, there's stuff going on here. We don't understand it. Who are you? And Jesus began to come back at them and he would always, it would always come back to this. I am. Somebody say I am. It would always come back to, I am. But when Jesus was saying, I am, he wasn't just getting caught up. uh, That that wasn't some flippant statement. That was a very powerful statement in which he was reaching way back. And he was tying in to the first revealed name of the Lord years ago. So powerful was that name. So precious was that name. That they would not even speak it. They were afraid to say it. They didn't want to desecrate the name of the Lord. But when they said who are you. The same God who told. When Moses said who are you speaking to me out of this burning bush. What do, who, who do I tell them sent me. Because they didn't have a name for God. So who do I tell them sent me. We know his name now is Jesus. But Moses didn't have that. Who do I tell him sent me? What did the Lord say? You look at Pharaoh and you tell him, I am that I am sent you. Okay? So years later, and that's all through the scripture. Years later, they look at Jesus. Who are you? He said, I am. <laughs> I am. And when Jesus said, I am, he, he was identifying himself with the same God. This is so powerful. You have to understand where they were coming from. They revered Moses. They were in love with the law of Moses. They revered him. And Jesus said, the same one that Moses said sent him, that's me. That's me. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on. How's that possible? 
uh, he told them another time, he said, your father Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. And they said, whoa, wait just a minute. You're 30-something years old, and, and, and you're trying to tell us that Abraham saw your day? He'd been dead for years. Ain't no way. It's not a possibility. And, and Jesus said, oh, you just need to understand who I am. I am that I am. I am the same God that spoke to Moses out of a burning bush. I am the same God who came to Abraham on the plains of Mamre. I am the same God who met him and he paid tithe to me. And I gave him bread and wine, the, 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 the priest of Salem, Melchizedek, a theophany of God. He said, I am the same God that Abraham, the same God that spoke to Abraham and said, get out of here and go to another place. I'm going to show you a city whose builder and maker is me. God. He said that that God that spoke to him, that was me. That was me. Jesus declared himself to be the eternal God. And I am done. I am done. But I'm going to say this. (laughs) Five minutes. No, no. I will get into this another time because this is so powerful. But y'all remember in the New Testament when when they crucified Jesus and Pilate put a sign above his head? Y'all remember that? It said, it said, uh, King of the Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Right? Okay. What is so powerful about that? Years and years ago. Years and years ago. That I am. That I am. See, you have to understand how, how Jewish grammar works. They, write, they would write in, vowel, in, in, in consonants and not vowels. So you had to supply the consonants. And when they got that revealed name of the Lord, you know what, you know what consonants they got? I'll show this all to you. So powerful. They got, we would, we would say, why... V, no, Y-H-V-H. Okay? Y-H-V-H. It's four consonants. That's where we get Yahweh from. You supply the A and the E. Got it? We, we, insert, we have inserted our own vowels in there. And, and to us, it's become Jehovah. Okay, just look, it's very powerful. Y-H-V-H. Okay, that was the revealed name of God that they had. It was so powerful to them. Yet, when Pilate said, write this above him, folks, you ought to go read that sometime in the Hebrew. And they wrote it in different languages, but they wrote it in Hebrew. And it, it bothered the religious leaders so much, the Jewish religious leaders. And they said, take that down. And Pilate said, I've written what I have written, I have written. It's going to stay up there. You want to know why that bothered them? Because when they looked at it, they had the four consonants sitting there above the head of Jesus in their language. When it was written up there and read the way it's supposed to be read, and I'm going to show it all to you, it was Y-H-V-A. Pilate had no clue what he was doing. He was just writing his own little thing that he wanted to write up there. But, but in doing so, he was declaring 
He was declaring God will use the, the weak things of this world to confound the God was taking Pilate. Pilate, you don't even have a clue what you're doing, but I'm going to have you put that on there. And when it's above my head, they're going to look up there and they're going to say, my goodness, he's been saying I am, I am. And all this does, it makes us so mad because we look up there and the name of the Lord is written above him. The name of the Lord is written above him. I'm going to show it to you. It's powerful. Powerful. Who is Jesus? Jesus Christ is the only God. Jesus Christ is the only God. He rules. He reigns. He lives forevermore. There is nobody that has more power than him. There is nobody that has more ability than him. There is nobody that's able to see more, hear more, do more. He is God of all. There is no other God beside him. There's not even a lesser God beside him. He is the only God. He is one. He has always been one. He remains one. And he will continue to be one. Jesus Christ is God manifests in the flesh. Why did he want flesh? Because God is a spirit. You can't see a spirit. He said, but I'm going to give you a fleshly vessel to look at. I'll get inside of it, and you will be able to see me. Seeing his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. This this helped anybody tonight? I am so looking forward to this and what God's going to do. Folks, it's important to me that you understand who Jesus is and that we we walk away with, with a concrete understanding of the fact that our God is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It has never changed. He is one Lord. Would you lift your hands this evening and would you just thank God for His presence that's been here and His Word that has penetrated our hearts tonight? Would you do that? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we worship you and we glorify you. We praise your holy name, Lord. Thank you, God.